Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. All right, are we doing well this morning? Thank you, fathers. Happy Father's Day. It's a good morning. I hope that you guys were able to get some bacon. I think we probably are almost out at this point. So, but hey, if it's your first time to Good Shepherd, welcome. My name is Caden. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Been on staff here for a few years now, and I just love it. I love I love worshiping with you guys. I love celebrating with you guys. Worship was awesome, um, and I'm and I'm not just saying that. Like the worship team just killed it, and it was just awesome being able to hear your voices. Um, so it's it's a good morning. So I'm excited to open the word. We're starting a new series called Summer in the Psalms. Summer in the Psalms, and I've made comments before about my love for books like Leviticus, but I will be honest with you, Psalms is by far my favorite. I, I just think it is so rich. There are so many things that are just such a blessing and an encouragement to our human hearts and our, and our human emotions. And so um, I'm really excited to open the text with you guys. But before we do that, um, how many of you guys have been or really enjoy boating? Boating, going out on a lake, Boyd Lake, horseshoe. How many of you guys, do any of you, anyone here actually have a boat? Yeah, okay, yes, let's go. I, I've, I think that um, having friends that have a boat is probably the greatest thing ever because then we don't have to do anything with it, but we can enjoy it. So um, I, I, growing up, I think I've, I've done boating for a few years now. There's a family that actually attends here that I grew up with, and, and they had two sons that were similar to the the age of myself and my younger brother, and he would always take us boating. We'd always go up to Horsetooth. It was such a regular thing that we did, um, and we always had a blast. And I'd say that I think that boating is probably the most outdoorsy event that I participate in, other than maybe golf, if you can count golf. I just, I've never been a, a big outdoorsy person. Honestly, even with boating, I get a little creeped out knowing that there are fish underneath me somewhere, but I really enjoyed it. And so this was probably in middle school. This, this family would, would take us out, and, and my friend, his name was Luke. We would go out, and, and we would tube. And if you guys know what tubing is, you tie a rope, and there's this big four to six handle tube on the back, and you basically just hold on for dear life for as long as you can. And so we would do this, and, and what we began to discover, that it was fun, but we wanted to, to make the, the time more challenging. So we, we created two bores, it's probably already invented, but where you tie two ropes and two tubes, and then as the boat is driving, you jump from tube to tube, and you try to throw your siblings off. So as the boat is going, you jump, and, and we would throw our siblings off, and we found that my younger brother and his younger brother, who were in elementary school, were just were in the water very often. It was a little easier to toss them, and so during this, Luke and I, we would have time to rest and recoup while we would circle back to get them, and what I discovered about my friend was that I don't, I just don't think he has the fear of death in him. You know those people who it's like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to kill us. And in middle, as a middle school, everything was life and death. But um, he would just, he just was not afraid of falling or hurting himself or breaking an arm or all those things. And so there was one moment where our younger brothers were, were off and, and we were circling back to get them. And, and my friend Luke thought it would be a great idea to talk to his dad who was driving a little smack, a little smack talk. And so we as middle schoolers are sitting on the tube. And, and if you've ever driven a boat, there is a, you have a lot of power. Like you, you can really end someone's life driving that boat. And, and my friend kind of stands up on the tube and he's like, Dad, you can't get us off. You can't throw us off. And then, and then I remember the words so clearly. He's like, Dad, you're a wuss. And uh, 
like, oh, crap. I think in that moment, I was like, one, I was just covered in fear. And so I began to like, no, no, John, that's his name. I'm like, no, you're not a wuss. <laughs> you're the best. You're the greatest. And, and I think in that moment, I probably received my prayer language as I began to intercede for our life. And, and instead of John just punching the gas and ripping us off immediately, what does he do? He slowly accelerates, and he gets up to like 10 or 15 miles an hour, and then, and then he just begins to do a circle. And if you guys have gone tubing, you know what that circle means. Because we're sitting inside of the wake, and we're like, what's going on? And as he does this circle, we begin to see outside of the wake, basically ocean waves forming. And it's like, what is happening? And he's just six or seven times. He's quiet up there. And then he just punches it, and he flips us outside of the wake. And now we face these ocean waves. And I just remember, like, hitting and taking flight. It was like, oh, Wow, and then hitting the pavement, scorpioning ourselves in the back of the head. It was just, it was like, this was so dumb. So then we get back on the tube, and what does my friend continue to do? Talk more smack. And, and so I share that story with you, one, because I just love tubing, but as I've gotten a little older, and I'm not making an old person comment, I understand that I am young, but my body just doesn't bounce back as quick. You get thrown off a tube, pulling yourself up, you're like, this is, this is exhausting. Why do we enjoy doing this? So then later in life, I've had some friends who, who are really into like surfing and skiing and wakeboarding. So then we started to do some surfing and skiing and wakeboarding. And I have a couple friends who know how to slalom ski. You know, you go one leg. And we would go up really in the morning so that the water was really, really calm and it was just beautiful. It was like pure bliss. The water looked like glass. The sun is popping up over the reservoir. And my friends would slalom ski and they just, it's like ice skating. They just carve the water. And every single time I'm like, this is just so beautiful. And to be honest with you, I share that story with you for absolutely no purpose today. <laughs> I don't have any connection really to my sermon other than I was reminiscing about it the other day. But like a good preacher, I'm just going to try to make a connection to Summer in the Psalms. So um, our, our Summer in the Psalms series this summer is hopefully going to look a lot like boating with today's message looking a lot like skiing. We are going to fly through the text. We're going to fly through the scripture. My hope is to kind of whet your guys' appetite for the Psalms and, and for, you to, for, your, for you there to be some excitement. While the other sermon series is going to look a little more like tubing, and we are basically going to circle one Psalm, and we are all going to dive very, very deep into the power and the riches of the scripture. So there you go. That's my introduction. <laughs> That's my connection to the sermon. If you guys would bow your heads, I want to both welcome the Holy Spirit, and I need a transition. So... Well, Lord, we just welcome your presence. God, we just ask that you would um, speak mightily through your word this morning. That as we open up our hearts to you and as we read your word, would it read us and shape us and change us. So, Lord, we, we love you. This is your mighty name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah, so I want to give a little overview of the Psalms, um, give a couple facts about the book of the Psalms. But before we do that, I just want to clarify something. I think that we as churches and church leaders and pastors have maybe unintentionally uh, diminished the role of the Psalms. I, I don't think we've done this intentionally. It's probably not happened for all of you. But I think what we have done is we've often always paired the Psalms with worship. And trust me, I'm a worship guy, so I, I love the Psalms. I read the Psalms. We write songs based on the Psalms, and, and they're so rich. But the problem is, is I think if we have diminished the role of the Psalms in your guys' hearts, in our hearts, what we begin to do is we begin to see them as less. Or we see them as, oh, that is the book that the musician reads. That's the book that the emotional Enneagram for creative artistic personality reads. But I don't really resonate with that because I don't, I don't really do music stuff. 
And if we shrink the psalm down simply to worship and praise, then we shrink down the power of the psalms. Because I would say the psalms are so much greater than simply worship. They, they have been and they will continue to be a powerful book that awakens the praying Christian. They have and they will be always a part of the Christian language. A couple facts about the Psalms is that it's the longest book in the Bible, which is kind of fun. It's written by eight different authors. One of those is as far back to Moses. It was written over 2,000 years. We see that um, the, the Psalms are mentioned over 100 times in the book of Revelation. We see Jesus quotes the Psalms over and over, even at the climax of his life. As he's on the cross, he quotes Psalms 22, and he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? We see that out of all the word-for-word quotes, direct quotes from the Old Testament quoted in the New, 50% of those are the Psalms. The Israelite people, they would have known the Psalms, they would have sang the Psalms, they would have memorized the Psalms. The Psalms were always a pivotal part of the Christian faith. However, I think the true beauty of the Psalms is not, not its written length or its vast authors. I think the beauty of the Psalms is this, is that it meets us in our frailty and our brokenness, and it gives us a way of escape. It gives language and clarity to help us identify our emotions and how we are supposed to respond with those emotions. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it. He says, the Psalms are great poetry and have lasted not because they appeal to our fantasies and its wishes, but because they are confirmed in the intensities of honest and hazardous living. AKA, the Psalms have existed all through time because they are real. They're real. They resonate with the human heart. And so maybe when I, when I say that, it's supposed to help with our emotions. Maybe you immediately respond. You go, oh, I'm, just, I'm just not a super emotional person. And I would say, I, I maybe believe you, because I think there are a few of you out there who are actually not emotional people, pretty robotic, which is awesome. Praise the Lord. You'll also be a mighty prayer warrior for the kingdom of heaven. Let me just say that, because all you have to do is say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and you never have to deal with the inner junk in your heart like the rest of us. But for most of us, we are emotional people. God has created us to be emotional. It's actually a part of human nature is to have emotions. Emotions aren't wrong. They're wrong if we don't deal with them in the right way. And I think that's what's happened for most of us is maybe your family of origin has created in you uh, a, a natural bend to suppress your emotions. So you feel something and your um, emotions show weakness, so I'm going to bury them. I'm not going to deal with them. I'm going to distract myself from them. Or maybe, maybe you have a high-stress job that causes you, it's a, it's a lot of emotional wear and tear, and so you found that sometimes your emotions have led you astray, or, and so you, you, you want to avoid, and, and instead you, you medicate to numb. Or maybe you work a job where you see a lot of the injustice in the world and you're working right up with the fringe of society and you see the brokenness of this world. Where are we going with our emotions? What are we doing with our emotions? Because the honest truth and what I think most of us know is if we do not deal with the, the, our inner world, if we do not deal with our emotions, it comes out somewhere. We know this. It comes out somewhere. It comes out having a couple drinks late at night after work, every night after work. It comes out looking up things on the internet to try to numb or to try to make us feel a certain way, or, or instead we lash out at our kids or our wives or our husband, whatever it may be, for no reason other than that we've suppressed and we've buried and we haven't dealt with our emotions. 
And we've seen divorce rates higher in America than probably ever. We see a, a, a society that is over-medicated. We see more suicide and depression and anxiety in our culture. You guys see this, right? We see that our society is very broken. And I want to present the idea that maybe we just really are not dealing with our emotions in the way that the Lord designed us to. And that's where I think the beauty of the Psalms come in, is the beauty of the Psalms help us identify our emotions, but it also gives us a way of escape. It's the beauty of the Psalms. So this is kind of what I mean when I say it, it helps us identify our emotions. Let's take something that the Psalms are very, very popular for. Something like praise, thanksgiving, um, worship, right? We, we think about that all the time. Think of Psalms 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord, right? And we quote that often, or, or the worship leader's favorite, Psalms 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, right? We, we know these Psalms 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. Psalms 47, verse 1, I love this one. It says, clap your hands, all peoples shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord most high is to be feared. Clap for the Lord. And I think that's, that's what we try to create a space for, is there's this feeling of, of I want to praise, I want to celebrate, I, I'm, I'm thankful for what the Lord has done. So we try to create atmospheres where we can clap. And if you wonder why we run it loud on a Sunday morning, it's because the Bible says run it loud. We run it loud because the Bible says run it loud. And I will tell you, we have a far more scientific process behind the board where we're tracking all of our DB levels in the room. If you're curious about it, you can email me, but please don't. But the Bible says to sing loud, clap your hands. Think about it when, when you guys go out into the wilderness, because I'm not doing it. Um, you guys go out in the wilderness and you're admiring the beauty of creation. You're looking up at the mountains and you see how massive they are. You see the stars and, and you have this feeling, this emotion of awe and wonder. And instead of just leaving it there, finding a psalm like Psalms verse 8, when I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? All of a sudden there's language for the, the, the things we are feeling inside of us. Let's take one like love or desire. There's been seasons in my life where I've just been so overwhelmed with the goodness and the kindness of the Lord that I actually haven't had words to fully express what I feel. And then you come across Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul that longs for you is in dry and weary land. All of a sudden I have language for the emotions I'm feeling. But the power of the Psalms is that it's not just for the good, positive, uplifting emotions. The Psalms, they lean into the darker, to the more painful emotions that we experience as humans. Think of something like anxiety and fear. And I'll be honest with you as a church, I, there have just been seasons in my life that have really struggled with anxiety. And I, I didn't really realize what it was. I didn't know what it was. But what I, what I began to realize was when I was anxious about something, my gut begins to shut down on me. And I just, I just, I eat food and it doesn't break it down. Basically, my body, when I'm feeling anxious, it goes into fight or flight mode permanently and it just doesn't leave it and so I'm I'm not able to break down food and so I lose a ton of weight and then I can't sleep at night and so instead of just feeling anxiety which let me tell you a lot of our darker um, the negative emotions that we feel often they require repentance almost all of them require me going God I, I was I was trusting in my own strength the proverb lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him He'll make straight your paths. I have to go, oh, God, I wasn't trusting in you, and I have to repent. But instead of just sitting in my anxiety or medicating, 
or suppressing or burying or entertaining myself so that I don't deal with this thing called anxiety or fear. The Psalms give us language to pray. Look at this. This was powerful for me. Psalm 61 verse 1 says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So God, okay, now I have a prayer. God, my heart is overwhelmed. Would you lead me to a rock that is higher than myself? Or think of the popular one, Psalms 121. I look up to the mountains for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I know a powerful one for me that I began to pray when, when I was struggled, struggled to sleep at night is Psalms 4 verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's, I'm, I'm declaring the promises of God. And what I'm doing is instead of just medicating, instead of burying, instead of not dealing with my emotions, I lean into my emotions and I let it fuel my prayer life. I let it fuel my prayer life. Let's take an emotion like jealousy or envy, because I know none of you guys have experienced these things. It's just me. But something like jealousy, there's been times in my life, and you guys don't need to raise your hand to this, but have you guys had someone in your life who is a family friend or a sibling or a cousin who, who you guys, you're, you're raising your kids with strong biblical values, and, and you're, you're teaching them to tithe, and, and you're making the hard sacrifices, and you're saying no to different things in life, and you're, you're showing up at church, and you're tithing, and you're doing all the right things, and then there's this other family who isn't walking with the Lord, who's living kind of a sinful life, and, and yet it seems like they're always prospering. You know, it's like, what? Like, they won the lottery? Are you serious? How? They're already making such great money. Or like, there are those people, and, and there's that feeling of jealousy or envy. Or, God, why, why them? Why did they get the promotion and not me? Like, do you see what I'm doing? The, the, the things that I'm doing behind the scenes? And I think we feel this emotion, and instead we just bury it. Or we let it fester, and then it eats away at us later. But there, there are psalms for things like jealousy and envy. Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evil, evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. But trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and befriend faithfulness. So now all of a sudden, instead of burying my emotion, I'm allowing my emotion to fuel my prayer life. And I'm saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to do good. I'm going to befriend faithfulness, and I'm going to dwell in the land. And I'm not going to worry about evildoers. Do you see that? There's, there's language for the Psalms that, that meet us in our low points, in our darker emotions. Let's take something like anger. Because none of y'all have been angry before. Someone cuts you off in tra traffic. You know what I'm talking about. Or the person who you led into your life and into your family's life, and then they betrayed your trust. And it's like, I'm I'm angry at that person. Well, the Psalms have words for that. And theirs are often more intense than ours. Listen to this, Psalms 3, verse 7. Arise, O Lord, and save me. For you strike all the enemies on their cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. <laughs> Psalms 58, verse 6. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouth. That's basically, God, I want to give this person a knuckle sandwich. Right? You guys know what I'm saying? The Psalms don't leave us. The Psalms don't simply talk about the high seasons of life. They meet us in our valley seasons, but they also give us a way of escape. Let's look at one like this, justice and vengeance. I got a phone call from a friend about a month ago. He just called me and he's like, hey man, would you, would you be praying for me? We just got a call from Child Protective Services that they're now looking into an investigation into my daughter if some things happen to her at her school. She's in elementary school. And you can kind of make the assumption you want, but my, my first thought goes, where does a father, where does a mother go 
when their child's purity has been stripped from them? Where do we go? How do we handle that? Where do we run when we see the injustices of the world? We support a ministry called Life for the Innocent. It's one that's just gripped my heart so dearly because their whole ministry is they're trying to free children in East Asia who have been caught in human trafficking. Children who are sold as commodities. And so they do this ministry of freeing kids. And as I pray for this ministry, my heart often grows angry. And I go, God, why? Why do you allow this to happen? And the Psalms don't always provide us an answer as to why. But what they do is they give us language to pray. Psalms 94 verse 1. Oh Lord, oh God of vengeance. Oh God of vengeance, would you shine forth. Rise up, oh judge of the earth, and repay to the proud what they deserve. Now all of a sudden, I'm letting that, that, that desire for justice and vengeance in my heart, instead of letting it just fester, I'm fueling it to my prayer life. And praise the Lord, my, my friend who called, the investigation was proven untrue. Praise the Lord. But still, where do, where do we run with our emotions? I think this is the wonder of the Psalms, is that it teaches us how to pray in every season of life. The mountain seasons and the valley seasons, it shows us how. And I think when we pray the Psalms, it, there are three things that it does very well for us. Three things. And so the first one is when we pray the Psalms, the Psalms serve as a guardrail for our mind. They serve as guardrails for our mind. And so if you guys have ever, have you guys been bowling and you've, you've brought kids and you bring up the little bumpers? Those things are adorable. And then you see the person who they throw them and it comes off way left and it's like boom, 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 boom. And then it hits the pins and half the time magically it still sneaks between the side and they don't get it. But the goal of, of a bumper is that it redirects the ball to the pins. Let's think of it this way. Have you guys ever considered buying a car and you, you look up the style and the trim level and the color and then you make the purchase and then you start driving around town and what is the one car that you now see on the road everywhere? It's your car. It's like, hey, I thought, I thought I was trendy. I thought I was picking a cool car. And then you just, no, the difference is that your perspective changed. You're now aware of that vehicle. It was always on the road. This is what the Psalms can do, is they can guide our minds. And so let's take Psalms 34, verse 1. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Okay, so we're memorizing, we're meditating this psalm, we're praying it, we're praying it, we're driving to the car, I'll praise the Lord, I'll bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And what happens when that person cuts you off? You know it ain't praise. It ain't praise coming from you. Oh, bless him, Lord. No, that's not, that's not what happens. Often that word that shouldn't be coming out of our mouth slips out of our mouth, and what happens? All of a sudden I'm aware of it. Oh, man, I'm, I was trying to bless the Lord at all times, and oh, and then all of a sudden, what the Psalms begin to do as we pray and as we memorize them, they begin to reveal our human insufficiencies and our flesh and our wrongdoing. But the beauty of the Psalms is it doesn't leave us there. It gives us a way of escape. So now I have language. Now I can say, God, would you teach me to bless you at all times? And would you give me strength so that praise would continually be in my mouth? All of a sudden, I have revelation of my insufficiency and my humanness, and now I have a way of escape. I have a prayer. Let's take Psalms 19, verse 4. Would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, would they be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer? I pray this. I meditate on this. I think about this. I'm, I'm talking over and over and over. And what happens? It begins to re reveal how often the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my mind, they aren't always pleasing to the Lord. You go, oh man, I think about things that they're not always appropriate. I think about things that, man, they're not, they're not edifying to me or to anyone. And, and all of a sudden we have revelation and we have a way of escape. So now I, I get to pray, God, would you, would you give me strength 
so that my words would be glorifying to you? And would you give me control over the thoughts of my mind? I think that's what, that's what Paul is meaning when he says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's going, okay, I have guardrails in my life. I've set up guardrails so that when my thoughts go aside, they bring me back in. Let's take one more. Psalms 23, verse 1, the popular psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as we pray this over and over and over, what we begin to realize is, man, I don't always visualize the Lord as my shepherd. I don't always, I don't always think that he knows what's best for me. And, and then you begin to go, I shall not want. You go, oh, man, I, I want a lot. Oh, I, want, I want that next thing. I want that next car. I want that next pair of shoes. I want, like, it's always want and want and want. But what it does is it reveals our insufficiencies and it gives us a way of escape. So now I can say, God, would you show me that you're my shepherd and that in you I have all that I need? All of a sudden, our prayer life begins to change. So it's guardrails for our mind. The second thing that I think it is really, really beautiful is it's a well for the soul. The Psalms serve as a well for the soul. So growing up, I was a pastor's kid. And so it was required as a kid, required, that we learned Psalm 91. So we had, to, we had hand motions, and it was in the New King James Version, so it sounded kind of cool. And, and I, I would go on to forget this through elementary, middle school, and high school. But I thought, this is probably, my parents were probably on to something. So I'm going to commit it to memory again. And so I began to study this and meditate this. And what I was doing is I was digging in my heart a well that was filled with the Word. And so then I'm praying. Let's, I'm going to use Austin and Katie. I use them this time because I think we should, as a church, be praying for Austin and Katie, our lead pastor, right? We should be lifting them up and covering them in prayer. And, and so now I find myself and I'm praying, oh, God, would you bless Austin and Katie? And would you bless their kids? And would you just protect them and be with them? And, and then all of a sudden, Psalms 91, it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, since I have this well of scripture in my heart, as I pray for Austin and Katie, it begins to spill out. And I go, God, would Austin and Katie, would, would they dwell in the shelter of the Most High and would they abide in the shadow of the Almighty? Would they say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust? God, surely you will deliver them from the snare of the fallen, from the deadly pestilence. Like all of a sudden, instead of just praying words, I'm praying the promises of God. That's the power of praying the word is we get to stand on something greater. We get to stand on God. This is what you have said. And then as I begin to pray for them, and then in, in a moment of ministry, someone says, for some reason, oh man, my family's just been under attack with health stuff. What comes to mind? Psalms 91. The scriptures say that no evil shall befall you and no plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And you see how all of a sudden I actually am pulling water from a life source within me and I'm offering it to the weary soul. The psalm also does that for me. When I'm feeling weary, when I'm feeling tired, I get to pray, God, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. As you see all of a sudden, it's a well that it, it, it brings refreshment and nourishment and satisfaction to me and to the church body and the people around us. So it serves as a well. And then the third thing that I think the Psalms do incredibly well is they serve as a shield in the war. They serve as a shield in the war. We know this to be true. The enemy's native tongue is lies. That's the only way he speaks, is in lies. If you ever hear something from the enemy, it's a lie. His, his sole purpose is to bring division and destruction and death. He does not care about us. His only goal is to destroy and to murder and to kill. And so when we hear the enemy's lies, we need to be like David in Psalms 119. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
And so the enemy comes after me, and, and he comes after me, and he says, hey, Caden, you're unworthy to lead. Hey, you're unworthy. Why, why do you think that you should be able to preach? Do you think you could preach to your church body? And he begins to attack. And then how do I respond? Psalms 139. God, but, but God formed my inward parts. He knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise him, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see how I'm, I'm not refuting the enemy with just self-help words. I am worthy. Caden is worthy. Caden is worthy. Caden, you're, you're so worthy. Caden, I'm the most worthy. No, I'm standing on truth. I'm standing on something that can hold my weight. And the words of the Lord can hold our weight. So I have stored up his word. We need to store up his word in our hearts so that when the enemy speaks lies, we have a shield of defense that is the word of the Lord. Maybe he comes after you because of a sin. And he says, you're all alone in this. The enemy's goal is always to isolate. Can you believe what you looked at the other night? Can you believe what you said to that person? Can you you're, you're, you're all alone in this. And then Psalms 139 continues. Where shall I go from his spirit? Where shall I flee from God's presence? If I was to ascend to the heavens, he is there. If I make my bed in the depths, he is there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall uphold me. I'm standing on the word of the Lord. I'm refuting the lies of the enemy with the scriptures. It says in Isaiah that the words of the Lord, they don't return void. And so when we stand on that, when we use that as a weapon, it acts as a shield in the war. Because remember, the, the, enemy's, the enemy's goal is always to lift our gaze on an earthly reality. And the Holy Spirit and the word is always trying to lift our eyes on a heavenly reality. And so we need to store what is the heavenly reality in our hearts. It's the word of the Lord. So if you guys, as we, as we kind of, um, we're going to finish this out in just a second. Would you open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1? I think this, this concept of storing up the word in our heart, I believe that the psalmist, as he's painting a picture, basically it's his thesis statement into the Psalms. And he says, hey, as you read the Psalms, this is my encouragement. Psalms 1, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It goes like this. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in, in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I think when we read this psalm, we have a lot of different things affecting the way we view it. And I think first and foremost, the trigger words that stand out in our culture, Americanized gospel, is blessing and prosperity. We hear those words, and I think there's some of us who maybe resort to this like, oh, sweet, I'm going to name it, I'm going to claim it, I'm going to get the car, I'm going to get the promotion, I'm going to get the house. Why? Because my pastor told me so. And I'm just going to be like, that is not what Psalms 1 is talking about. Is not talking about that blessing and prosperity, but it's also not talking about where some of us revert the other way and we go, well, the Bible says that the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven, so I'm going to live a life of poverty. And, and I just, I don't, I don't really believe that that's also what the scripture talks about. We see in Matthew where Jesus is talking about the talents and, and there, is, there is a call for us to multiply that which we have been given. And so we find ourselves kind of in this middle road, but I think if we grew up in the church, often how we read this verse is we see the blessed is, the, is not, and then it lists this people who sits in the way of sinners, stands in the way of scoffers, and, and we see that, 
And what we often do is we go, well, if I just don't do that, then I'll be blessed. And that ain't what the scripture's talking about either. The scripture says, but he delights in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. To delight in something is to have a high degree of pleasure in. To meditate is to think and think about, to let it be deep within our hearts and to quote it over and over and over and over and over again. The blessed and prosperous life that the Lord is, that the psalmist is talking about here and what he's inviting us as we read the Psalms is he's saying, meditate and delight in the law of the Lord. And I love, because then he paints the picture of, of kind of the promise of the person who does this, is that they will be like a tree planted by water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And, and the truth is, in the gospel, there is prosperity. It's not Americanized. It's not, it's not our version of prosperity. It's a greater prosperity and blessing. It's why James is able to say in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, I count it all joy when I face trials of many kinds. Why? Because he has meditated on the law of the Lord, and now prosperity and blessing have become redefined in the way that the, the Lord desires it. And so when we study and we meditate the law of the Lord, yes, there is something beautiful when we, when we align our lives around this book and the statues, we follow and we obey the, the commandments. And when it says, don't do this, we don't do this. And when it says, do this, we do this. That leads to a flourishing life. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 10, 10. He says, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. There is a blessing and prosperous life to be had, but it comes through studying his word. It's why when Jesus talks about building your life on the rock, not on the sand, for when the wind came and the wind blew, the, the house that was built on the sand, it fell with a mighty crash. But those who build their lives on the rock will not fall. The psalmist is talking about, in verse 3, when he says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. What he's saying is, we are the tree, and when we plant ourselves by the word of the Lord, we will prosper. And the beautiful thing about this verse is, is a tree that plants itself by living water, by a river, it's putting its roots deep and it's pulling its nutrients and its life source from a deep, from a deep well. It's not dependent upon external circumstances. So this is what it looks like when someone who has planted themselves by the word of the Lord is what it looks like. The economy is on the verge of collapse. My leaves do not wither. I prosper in all things. The presidential election comes next year and there's chaos breaking out in the streets. My leaves do not wither. Because why? Because we've planted ourselves by the word of the Lord that is proven true. It says in the Psalms that the word of the Lord is, is, is purified like silver, refined seven times. It's flawless in every single way. And so we have to plant ourselves by the word of the Lord and so that in all that we do, we will prosper. And so my challenge for us today as a church is as we lean into this summer in the Psalms, and we're going to be in it for 11 weeks, my encouragement to you is do, do not retreat. Do not take summer as a off time spiritually. This is a time to plant ourselves by the stream of living water. This is a time to be like David and say, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so read the psalm. My encouragement is 10 minutes a day. Read a psalm. Read three. Meditate on it. Pray it back. It's as simple as the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, would you show me that you are my shepherd and that in you I have everything I need. Begin to do this. Store up the word in our heart because here, here is, I think, the problem. And I, I think it's a problem in all of our hearts, in my heart included, is that we have meditated on and we have delighted in virtually everything but the word. And that's just true. We've meditated on anxiety and fear 
and anger and jealousy and frustration and bitterness and unforgiveness. And then we've delighted in things like family and hobbies and sports and entertainment and social media and work. And again, a lot of those things aren't wrong, but what leads to the blessed and prosperous life? The one who meditates on the word of the Lord. And so we just, as a church, if, if that's you and you go, man, I just, I don't have the word in me. I haven't studied the word. I haven't prioritized like it should. There's going to be just a time I'm going to lead us in a little bit of a prayer of repentance that just says, God, would you just redirect our thoughts? Would we not treat the summer season as an off time, as a half time where we don't need to engage? This is a time to engage in the word. So engage with us as a church. Engage. You can still take a Sunday off because we need it for the kids' rooms. But I'm saying, engage, engage, engage. Read the Psalms, meditate the Psalms, memorize the Psalms, commit them to memory. So you guys, would you stand? Maybe if you just even want, just open your hands like this as a sign of receiving from the Holy Spirit. And I'm just, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of both just desire and repentance. I just, we just, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. And God, we just, we just repent if we've, if we placed anything above your word, if we've prioritized meditating and delighting in other earthly things that do not promise anything of value. And Lord, we just repent if we've built our life on something other than the word, or if, or if we planted ourselves by, by a stream that doesn't, that doesn't feed us, that doesn't nourish us. And if we're dependent on other things around us, Lord, we just, we ask that you would be our one life source, that we would be dependent fully on you, that, that like David, we could say, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So God, we just repent of anything in our heart that is not of you. God, and we just ask that you would lead us along the path of everlasting. Would you point out, point out anything in us that is offensive? God, would you create in us a clean heart? Lord, we love you. It's all for you. It's in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.